Met, I'm Nathan, I'm the senior pastor here, and we're glad you're here to worship with us. But before we get going, uh, a couple things. We're going to dismiss Children for Children's Church, and they're going out this north door and follow Mr. and Mrs. Predo. So kids, that's ages fourth through first grade, out this north door. And if you're familiar with our, our building, maybe you're noticing a few... Uh, infrastructure upgrades. I can actually see what's happening behind me now, which is kind of cool. And uh, some other things are happening. You, uh, If you use Wi-Fi during the service, uh, we've upgraded that as well. So, And we'll have some stage lights to kind of brighten up faces as well. So uh, my gratitude to Pete Ulbricht, to John Finnan, to Seth Freet, and others who have helped uh, do that. I mean, we're just dependent upon volunteer help, and so that's, uh, that's exciting. So how many of you, when you sleep, you dream? And sometimes you just kind of wake up and go, what was that all about? Right? Sometimes, uh, you know, your dreams are what you're concerned about or what you've been thinking about. I remember when I was taking Hebrew in, in summer school, and like, you know, having to memorize like 40 vocab words a day. And I started dreaming in, in Hebrew characters. It was nuts. It was like, whoa, what's this all about? You know? Sometimes, uh, you know, your, your dreams have to do with your greatest fears. I still have the dream of showing up for class and like, what, there's a test? <laughs> I had no idea. And sometimes, sometimes it, it, dreams are just they're so bizarre, you know, they, they just make no sense. It's kind of like, my wife will have dreams, you know, and she'll wake up and say, you were my band teacher, and you were a real jerk to me, you know, and, <laughs> and she's mad at me the whole day. I've just learned, I've just learned to say, I didn't do it, whenever she says she has a dream, you know, it's like, I no idea what you're talking about here. But sometimes, God uses our dreams to communicate something to us about himself or even about us and what he's doing. And sometimes we even say as we look at those things, what was that all about? We're continuing our short series in this month of of December, what we call Christmas or Christ in Genesis. And we're going to see where there are episodes that happen to some of the patriarchs that actually point to who Jesus is. The Lord Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. This is talking about me. And so last week we started in Genesis 3, the fall of man, how the man and the woman rebelled against God, and God brought the consequences and curse to them. But in that also was a promise of God to bring forth a son born of the seed of woman who would crush the serpent or Satan's head, and he would be a savior from sin and death and restore us to God. And that is a picture of the promise of Jesus. This week we're going to look, as I mentioned earlier, a dream. A dream of one of the founding fathers, of one of the patriarchs. 
And we're going to discover that God was seeking to communicate something to this man about himself and calling him into relationship with himself. But we're also going to see a greater reality recognized when Jesus himself is born and brings fulfillment to that dream. So perhaps we've just called this even a bit of a whisper of Christmas. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to Genesis chapter 28. And we're going to meet a young man named Jacob. Genesis 28, and we're going to pick it up at verse 10. We're going to find him uh, as a man on the run. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start at verse 10 in Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Would you let me pray, and then we'll get into uh, this dream. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you will open our eyes to help us to see um, your promise here in this, this episode, this dream. I thank you that you are a Savior that came for us. Father, I thank you that you are a God who is involved in the lives of men and women. You've not just wound up this earth and let it go, but you're intimately involved. Intimately involved to make us your children. So open our eyes to help us to see what you have for us in your word today. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Now before I continue here, I have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, I've served under a few senior pastors before I stepped into the role myself, and uh, a man named Todd Habegger, who I served with in Gurney, Illinois, actually preached a similar sermon uh, to what I'm preaching. And so since all work and no plagiarism makes for dull preaching, um, I want to give credit to Todd for some of these ideas. And Todd, if you're listening, uh, thanks for the material. So, but first thing I want to say is, okay, how did we get here? How did we get here to where Jacob is having this dream? Well, let's, let's back it up, first of all, uh, to the beginning of Genesis 25, where Jacob is actually born. And he's a twin. He's a fraternal twin, not an identical fraternal. And his brother Esau is the one who is born first. And as he comes out of the womb, Esau is red, so he's also named Edom. That's where we get the word for Edom or Edomites. 
but he's also very hairy somehow coming out of the womb. He's kind of that kid, you know, who's in like middle school at age 12 who's already shaving and like fully developed, you know, kind of this man-child. This is who Esau is. And, you know, he's a hunter. He's a man's man. I mean, he got the full testosterone bomb thrown on him. So that's who Esau is. Jacob, on the other hand, is born and he comes out grasping at the heel of Esau. And so his parents give him the name Jacob, which means heel or heel grasper. And this is kind of a cultural euphemism for someone who's a usurper or a supplanter, someone who's trying to grasp and get ahead or kind of has a me-first attitude. As we'll see, Jacob lives up or lives down, if you will, to his name. Another thing we need to know is that Jacob is born to a very godly family. We're actually kind of a little bit of out of order in the, in the story here, but that's okay. He's born into a family where his grandfather, Abraham, is called by God from a pagan lifestyle. He's 75 years old, and God says, Abraham, or Abram at the time, come, I want, you to, I want to take you to a land, I'm going to show you, and you're going to sojourn there, I'm going to give you the land, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, and through you, through your seed, you're going to bless all nations. He's at 75 when he does this. He's married to his wife Sarah, or Sarai. They don't have children. And for 25 years, they don't have children. Until finally their son Isaac, or Laughter is his real name, is born. And Isaac is this miracle baby. Abraham is 20, is 100 now. His wife Sarai is, is, is 90. And so this is, you know, this is evidence of God that nothing is impossible for the Lord. And Isaac is the next generation of God's covenant. And so the Lord or Yahweh becomes the God of Abraham. And he becomes the God of Isaac. And you can bet, you can bet that Isaac has told this story to his, his sons, Jacob and Esau. But the jury is still kind of out for Jacob. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard the story, Dad. Okay. That's how God has worked in your life. But how is he going to work in my life? As he looks around, he's kind of sizing things up. He's saying, I'm number two, and there are only two sons, right? I'm going to get the short end of the stick, the stick because even though they were born on the same day, Esau is going to get the lion's share of the family inheritance and possibly will be put in charge over Jacob. And so Jacob's got to do a little bit of maneuvering here. So he takes advantage of his brother, Esau, and appeals to his sensual appetites. Again, you know, Esau's kind of a man's man. He's kind of that out there guy. So he goes out hunting one day. And he comes back and he is famished. I mean, he is hungry. He's hangry, if you will. I mean, he's got to get some food, right? And Jacob's at home. He's been making some stew, some lentil stew. He says, give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Not so fast. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you a bowl of this stew if 
you'll sell me your birthright. That just seems crazy. You give me, the, I get the lion's share of the inheritance. And Esau says, fine, fine, I'm dying, I'm starving, sure, I'll give it to you. And he sells his birthright for a bowl of beans. Now, okay, Jacob is kind of a, a heel for taking advantage of his brother. But Esau, or Edom, is kind of a heel for selling his birthright for a bowl of beans. I want to ask the question of all of us. How many of us are selling away blessings that God wants to give us for just the security of temporal pleasure? You know, God, God will bring up Esau in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. says, don't be immoral like Esau, who despised his birthright. He sold it for a bowl of beans. Well, things get worse. Not only has Esau sold his birthright, but Jacob takes it one step more. He wants the blessing of his father. He wants the blessing that's passed down from one generation to another. And so with the help of his mother, he decides to deceive his father whose eyesight is failing at this point. He can't, you know, all his, the faculties that work for him are his sense of touch, his sense of smell, sense of hearing, but his eyesight is not so good. And so he brings in his son Esau, who's his favorite. Unfortunately, this is open knowledge, right? And he tells his son Esau, hey, go out, go hunting, and catch me a roebuck or something like that. And make it really spicy like I like it. And then I'll bless you. And Rebecca overhears this. And then she goes and says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on some goat skin. Let's strap this to your, your arms. And then I want you to put on Esau's clothes because, you know, it'll have his scent on it. And then I'll go make your, your father a really spicy meal like he likes it. And you go in and get the blessing. And that's what happens. Isaac says, Father, here I am. And, and Isaac says, who, who is this? It's your son Esau. And he says, well, you sound like Jacob. Come closer. And so, you know, Jacob comes by and he's got all this goat skin strapped to him. He says, you feel like Esau. You smell like Esau. Like a fertile field. I don't know what that means, but let's say deodorant was on the, on the market those days. And so he eats the food and he blesses him. He blesses Jacob. He gives him the blessing. And just as he leaves, in walks Esau. Finally with his hunt. He says, here I am, Dad. I've got the meal. Come and bless me. He says, who are you? I'm your son Esau. And who was that that just left? And see, the blessing was not just a promise it was not just a promise of, of um, prosperity. It was really setting the leadership. Who is going to be the household leader? And Esau <laughs> figures out that he's been duped and he is not happy. And it says in verse 27, verse 36, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. And Esau... He's now just biding his time because 
Isaac is old. He says, when dad kicks the bucket, then I'm going after Jacob. I'm going to get it back. I'm going to get back the blessing. I'm going to kill him. And Rebecca gets word of this, says, okay, we we got to deal with this. So she, you know, concocts a story, says, you need, she says to Isaac, you need to send Jacob back to my family to get a wife because these Canaanite women, I don't want them in my household. And so, okay, Jacob gets sent away to the house of Bethuel that he will find a wife. But he's really on the run because his, his brother has it out for him. So here's where we meet him. Homeless, familyless, friendless, left alone with his thoughts. Perhaps realizing that the heel grasper really was a real heel of a person. But here's the first thing I want you to notice. Is that God takes us where we're at, where we're at, not where we should be. God takes us where we're at, not where we should be. <laughs> what I love about the Bible is it doesn't look at us, it doesn't look at these characters through stained glass, rose-colored glasses. It takes them where they're at, warts and all. And certainly Jacob had some of those. But he's able to work in that and through that. And he doesn't wait until Jacob has his act together to engage him. And so as this heel grasper pulls up a stone as a pillow, the God of the universe is about to reveal himself to Jacob. Verse 12. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God, excuse me, of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. I mean, this is a stunning visual. I mean, it is just overwhelming. This thing, whatever it is, this ladder, this stairway. It is, in the Hebrew, it's this plane that connects one level to another. And here we have a connection between earth and heaven. And angels, these heavenly beings going up and down. What this is intimating is that heaven is intimately involved with the affairs of men and women. And the Lord, the God of the universe, is at the top. He's superintending this. He sees it all, and it is a glorious vision. It must have been kind of overwhelming. Now, <laughs> we could say, well, that's just chalked up to a fruitful imagination or bad goat cheese, you know. How did he have this vision? But it starts to become personal because you see, the, you, see you have the visual and now we get the audio. And this is the Lord speaking. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac and I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. 
the God of his fathers, his grandfather, Abraham, his father, Isaac. He's addressing him. He's having an encounter with God. And you know what Jacob deserves? He really deserves reproach. Hey, Jacob, you're a real jerk. You're a real heel. You, you swindled your brother out of the, the birthright. You lied. You deceived your dad. But that's not how God addresses him. Instead, he is given grace. He's given grace. And this, my friends, is the heart of the gospel. This is where we're seeing the gospel woven into this. How many of us know that God does not treat us as our sin deserves? How many of us know that? And that God delights to show grace to heals, if you will. This is what he's doing here. That's what he does in Christmas. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. To Jacob, to Jacob, the heel, the usurper, is given the promise of Abraham. That of the land or property. He's also given the, the promise of progeny or descendants or literally a seed that will fill the whole land to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south. And through his seed, there'll be blessing to all people. Jacob becomes the heir to the promise of Abraham. And through that seed will come the Messiah. So not only is there a promise of property and progeny, but also presence and protection. Verse 15. I am with you and watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land and will not leave you until you have done what I have promised you. You see, up to this point, Jacob had probably just heard about God from Abraham, from Isaac. Now he encounters him personally. And this is a wake-up call for Jacob. A wake-up call, and he responds. Verse 16, And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid, and said, How awesome is this place! That This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He responds, And the first response is a wow response. An awe response. Like, I am seeing God. I mean, I've heard about this, but now I'm actually seeing it. He's really there. It's not just a rumor. And by the way, God is not like us. God is holy. And he's afraid. He's a little bit afraid. Like, what's he going to ask of me? What's he going to do? You know, when a holy God is addressing you, it's not just business as usual. And you're asking the question, 
what is he requiring of me? What, he's gonna, what is he going to ask me to do? Now, Jacob makes a mistake. He sees this area as kind of the locale where God kind of comes up and down. The area where it's a geographic location where, where God kind of makes the connection from heaven to earth. And perhaps he didn't realize that God had come down to him, and we'll see that a little bit later. But make no mistake, there is a wow factor, and it leads next to worship. Verse 18, And early the next morning Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel. But the city used to be called Luz. Again, somehow believing that this rock had some connection with this vision of God that he sees, he responds with worship. He takes this rock and he pours oil on it. He anoints it, basically, and sets it up as an altar or a memorial, a place of remembrance. Again, Jacob is probably mistaken as far as this is the place where, you know, ground zero where God comes down, and he calls it Bethel, which means Beth, or Bet, which means house, El, or Elohim, the house of God. But this response is right. Ah, reverence, worship. He's starting to make his faith his own. And so he responds next with a vow, verse 20. And when Jacob... Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So Jacob responds with a vow. Now you could say, you know, we still got a little residue of Jacob the usurper. Maybe Jacob kind of the wheeler dealer. You notice kind of the if-then language here? I'm going to make you a deal, God. I'll tell you what. If you're going to be with me and if you bless me, you take care of me, you give me food and clothing, and you bring me back, if you do all those things for me, then, then, then you can be my God. And, and by the way, I'll throw in a tenth of everything you give me. Just for, for good measure. Jacob's response is perhaps a little bit immature. God doesn't operate on a quid pro quo basis, right? Um, God actually does all these things for Jacob, not because God owes him. He does it because God said he was going to do that, and he he keeps his word. And I guess I ask the question, sometimes when we're dealing with God or even putting our faith in Jesus, how many of us bargain with him before we say, I'll follow you? Jesus, I'll I'll follow you as as long as you bless me financially Or, or give me an attractive spouse or give me kids that are healthy, wealthy, and wise. They're successful. And please don't send me as a missionary to Africa. But when perhaps 
something goes amiss. And the bargain that we think we struck with God goes sideways. We start to doubt. Is God good? Is there God at all? And the real question is, do we let God be God? Do we come to him and, and offer our lives saying, you're God, you can do with me what you will, and you're good? Are we letting the Lord Jesus be Lord? But again, I want to remind you, God takes us where we're at, not where we should be, and he grows us up. And this is a positive step. The Lord is becoming Jacob's God, not just the God of his grandfather and his, his father. So, so far, you know, he's saying, okay, pastor, there's some nice connections here. I, I get this, but still, what's this all about? How does this dream connect to Christmas? Well, here's, here's what I want to say boldly, is that Jesus actually is the ladder, the stairway to heaven, if you will. Jacob's dream serves as a preview of what God planned to do to connect heaven and earth. When Jesus is calling his first disciples in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 51, he says, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open up, and listen to this, and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man like he's a platform ascending and descending on the son of man guys you remember the story about jacob's ladder it's about me it's about me jesus the messiah and he calls himself the son of man again son of man earthly born on earth yet with heavenly divine origins just as daniel talked about in daniel seven fourteen. The one who has given authority and glory and sovereign power over all the nations and every people and every tongue worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, Jesus is the one who bridges heaven and earth. And on that first Christmas night in Bethlehem when he was born, heaven had reached down to earth. There's also the issue of angels here. Again, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Angels are, are heavenly beings that are God's servants and messengers. And they are involved somehow in bringing heaven to earth. They were there when Jesus was born to announce his birth to shepherds. An angel was there to strengthen Jesus when he was tempted by Satan. An angel was there to strengthen Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying, not your will, but my will. And he was there at the empty tomb to tell the women, he's not there, he's alive. And angels are there when Jesus ascends to heaven. And tells his watching disciples, oh, by the way, he's going to return the same way. But here's the deal. Jesus come, didn't come to make a heavenly highway for angels. That's not his purpose. He came to bridge the gap 
to be the way for sinful men and women, those of us who are spiritual heels at times, to be reconciled to a holy God. Jesus would say of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus knew who he was. And later on, the words of a spiritual heel, a man who was once called Saul, and Jesus got a hold of him and changed him into Paul, he would say this, for there is one God and mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And this, is the, <clears throat> this has now been witnessed at the proper time. You see, back to Jacob. As Jacob starts to follow the Lord, he'll be changed. But the greatest change that Jacob goes through is that he learns to trust in the Lord. He learns to put his faith in what he said he would do rather than relying on his own conniving means of making things happen. In the same way, Jesus who is that stairway? And we who put our faith in him, we turn to him. But our faith, again, is not in what he tells us to do, how to clean up our act. Our faith is in what he has done, in living a perfect life that we couldn't live, in dying a death, paying a debt that we couldn't pay, and rising from the grave to conquer a debt, conquer a foe we couldn't conquer. He's the one who bridges the gap. You see, so often we're tempted to think that we have to do something to bridge this gap. No, it's what God has done himself. If you look at the world's religions, they have a lot of good moral ethical teaching to share with us. That's, I guess, what we would share in common. On the other hand, it's all based on what Man's effort should be to get to God. It's what I can do to kind of bridge that gap. What must I do? I'm going to do a quick sampling. If you're a Buddhist, you want to get to nirvana, that is to remove all sense of passion and suffering, if you will. So you follow four noble truths and an eightfold path which brings about right views, right intention, right speech, right behavior, right livelihood, right effort, right mind, and right insight. If you can accomplish that, then you'll attain nirvana. In Hinduism, Hinduism, you want to get moksha, which is to get out of this cycle of reincarnation and to become one, if you will, with the universe. So you've got three possible paths You've got one of karma, which is doing the right thing because it's right. You've got one called yanana, which is knowledge or over ignorance. The one called bhakti, which is devotion to one of those deities. You can follow one of those pathways, but you have to choose one because that's what you have to do. Islam, you want to get to paradise where you'll have a, a sensual eternity mostly for men, it seems like. And you've got the five pillars of Islam, 
which is faith in Allah and Muhammad as his prophet, daily prayer times, giving alms to the poor, fasting, especially during Ramadan, and a pilgrimage to Mecca. And if your good somehow outweighs your bad and Allah wills it, then you can be in paradise. And even Judaism, where we, this is the roots from which we came. I focus on the Ten Commandments or the law, of which there are 613 commandments, by the way, which you need to follow. And if you keep the law, well, then you can be in a blessed relationship with God forever. Here's the problem, though. (laughs) No one can do it perfectly. No one can do it perfectly. That seems like a problem. We fall short. Romans chapter twenty-three, verse uh, Romans chapter three, verse twenty-three says, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And we're kind of hoping that God's going to grade on a curve. You know, well, if I've done better than fifty percent, maybe you know, maybe He'll just let me in. But He doesn't, because God keeps His own holiness. But folks, this is where the gospel comes in. This is where hope comes in. God meets his own perfect standard in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, to live a life we couldn't live. To pay a debt we couldn't pay. And to conquer a foe we couldn't conquer. And we who put our faith in him, we who put our faith in him, he bridges that gap for us. He becomes our righteousness. You know what's said of Grandpa Abraham? And we're going to see this next week. That Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Brian believed God about what Jesus said, what God said about Jesus and it was credited to him as righteousness. Again, Jacob starts out as a real heel. He starts out as a real heel. But it wasn't what Jacob could do to reach to God. It's what God has done to reach down to Jacob and what he's done to reach down to you and to me. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, 20, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. This is great. However, to the one who does not work, one who's not trying to earn their way to heaven, but trusts in God, Listen to this. Who justifies the ungodly. God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It's not a step by step. Me keeping the five pillars, the ten commandments, the eightfold path. No, it's one thing. Where is my faith? Who is my faith in? In Jesus Christ. A verse we quote around here so often, but it's so true. God so loved the world that he gives his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The last thing I want to share this morning about this stairway to heaven is you have to step on the stairway yourself. You have to do it yourself. It can't be 
your grandpa, your grandma, your uncle, your brother, your sister, your, your very spiritual friend. And, hey, it's great if you've got a grandma or grandpa that's praying for you, that's godly, that's awesome. But you have to do it yourself. I've said this many times, God has no grandchildren. It's not transferred just by association. You have to do it yourself. Like Jacob. Jacob, who at one point said to Dad, I, I, I got this so quickly because the Lord your God gave me success. No, now it's now the Lord my God. Jesus has to become your Lord and your Savior. It can't be the Lord and Savior of your parents, of your grandparents. And maybe during this Christmas time, you've been hearing a lot about Jesus. You hear it about from your parents, from your friends, your uncle. But today, today, maybe Jesus becomes your Lord and your Savior instead of that of your parents or your grandparents or that of Pastor Nathan. No, he becomes your Lord, your Savior. John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, even those who believed in his name, all that he would do, to them, to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. Be reckoned as God's own children. That's the promise that's there for you. But have you stepped on to that stairway? You could even say, it's not a stairway, it really is an escalator. Because you've got to get on it. Then Jesus takes over and draws you up to himself. My question is, are you going up? That's the question we all need to answer. God has made a stairway to heaven. His name is Jesus. Let me pray for us and then I'll have the worship team come and close. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for this whisper of Christmas, this whisper of the gospel that came in a dream. And Jesus, you're the fulfillment of that dream. And Lord, if there's somebody here today who has heard about you but has just not taking that step to put their faith in you. Would you draw them to yourself? Would you convince them that they are a spiritual heel, that they are separated from you by their sin? But you want to take them where they're at. They need not clean up their act, but they need to put their faith in you. And would you draw them to yourself and make them your own? But Lord, again, we thank you that for all of us, you don't treat us as our sin deserves. You take us where we're at. And in the process of making us more like your son Jesus and giving us a glorious, a glorious future. Thank you for calling us to yourself. 
thank you for this reminder during this Christmas season. And Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen.